Hi, I'm Lou. I'm a dad, husband, professional communicator, and a sugar addict. Soda, sweet treats, breakfast cereal, these are my indulgences of choice. I've tried to wean myself off the stuff, but I keep coming back for more. So I'm trying again to change my diet and my mindset about sugar one step at a time. This is my story. This is Sugar Crash. Welcome to the Sugar Crash Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Corum. So I've been doing the Sugar Crash diet for quite a while now, close to two months, and things are feeling good. I found this rhythm where I'm nowhere close to eating the amount of sugar that I once was. I'm seeing weight loss milestones, 20 pounds down on February 16th, woohoo! And, I'm f- and I've found ways to indulge in the sweet stuff in a healthy way. The cravings are gone, but the temptation to indulge is still there. And I was bad on Valentine's Day. Let me qualify that a little. I knew that I would be bad on Valentine's Day. I planned to let go of the diet and embrace the social aspects of the holiday. If you're not following me on Instagram, be sure to check me out there, at Sugar Crash Podcast, because I'm trying to be better about sharing what's going on with my diet on Instagram on a pretty regular basis. The day wasn't just a day for social eating. I feel like I had a bit of a date with gluttony that day. I mean, hey, I did eat an entire Valentine's box of Kit Kat miniatures that day. They were delicious, by the way. But a funny thing did happen in the gluttony. So I had a Dr. Pepper with my lunch at Jimmy John's. Yeah, you heard me. I went back to the old haunt. I could have passed on the Dr. Pepper, but I had a free fountain drink from their rewards program, so yeah, I made that choice. Anyway, I'm drinking this Dr. Pepper, and I found myself registering that it just didn't taste as good as I remembered. I'm not going to lie, I drank Coke later that day too. But why? Why didn't that Dr. Pepper taste as good as it normally would have? I mean, is my body acclimating to life without soda? It literally makes no sense to me why every second of that soda didn't feel like a complete indulgence to me. Why wasn't my body savoring every moment of that cold, carbonated rush of high fructose corn syrup and CO2? If you're laughing to yourself right now, hold it, because it's moments like this that should be existential. It's such an ingrained part of my reality that there should be this incredible rush of satisfaction, this melding of satisfaction in mental and physical ways all at once that wasn't translating in the moment of having the soda, and it seems almost unreal. That's not to say that I've been perfectly loyal to the diet. Um, On Sunday, February 16th, you know, that day where I had the 20-pound weight loss milestone, after being really good the day before, I indulged twice in sweets. And the donuts that I had that day, still delicious. So not everything has changed about me yet. However, as I'm exploring this relationship with sugar changing, there's an important lesson of which to take note of here. I'm not sure how long ago, but a while ago, I took the kids to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru for dinner. So I got myself dinner there too. At the time, I didn't feel like I could make the order without soda. 
But in light of that experience at Jimmy John's, maybe that choice would change on a new day. I wasn't there yet, but maybe the next stage of growth for me is in an area with one of the things I love most in life, soda. I want to get better at this whole dieting thing. Dieting doesn't feel like a good term to use. It's so laced with all this bad meaning of depriving yourself, of suffering emotionally from the things that you really want. It's enough to make you fail, or at least relapse, into bad behaviors. Sometimes I still rely on fast food, though I'm trying to make more strategic decisions in that regard. Sometimes I still go to Jimmy John's and just get the sandwich. Sometimes I go to Chipotle and just get the burrito bowl without the soda, too. In the case of Chipotle, that meal is sugar-free. In the case of Jimmy John's, though, it's a little more complicated than that. There's something that just doesn't feel right about declaring a Jimmy John's sandwich an uncompliant meal to me. While I don't know for sure, I think it's likely that there is some sugar in the meat, the bread, and the mayonnaise. Yes, there have to be times where I execute a whole meal plan, like I outlined in episode two, but I'm a dad. Sometimes the most important thing you can do is make the best choice given the circumstances that are in front of you. We all face this kind of thing on a regular basis. In just a few minutes, we're going to talk about all the areas that sugar is hiding in our grocery aisles. Like, seriously, if it's between you making pasta at home, though, and a can with a can of pre-made sauce and a side salad, and a burger and fries with 44 ounces of liquefied corn sugar, go for the pasta sauce meal. At the same time, we don't want to cultivate a culture of bad habits, though, right? Like, if reaching for the pasta sauce give, gives way to packing a bologna with mayo on white bread sandwich with sun chips and some fruit leather for a week, perhaps we need to take we need some kind of indicator that we're relying too heavily on the gray area. So in this episode, I'm de- debuting three new stats designed to give a simple look at how I'm eating overall. The first of these, total food events, is designed to give you a look at how many times I ate over the course of a week in total. I'm keeping a log of everything I ate at every juncture of the day. Breakfasts, lunches, dinners, even snacks. I'll report that number back to you. From there, I'm also taking note of how many of those meals are flat-out violations of the sugar crash diet strategy. But in order to accurately reflect these gray area choices, I'm also making a category for gray area meals, which I'll report back to you as well. I think a good goal for me is to have less than a combined five violation meals and gray area meals in any given week. Remember, even something like a salad with conventional salad dressing would fall into this total. Five meals over the course of a week would still represent more than 80% of, of meals on the diet, which represents a very real change in the way that I regularly eat. Just in raw meal num- numbers alone, I'm eating five fewer times than I would typically eat in a given week on the sugar crash diet. 
Typically, I estimate that I would eat 24 or 32 meals with some type of sugar in them using my typical eating pattern. That's 75% of the time with sugar. So bringing me more into alignment at just five meals a week with sugar or even something sugar adjacent or with just sugar as an additive or something would, re would represent real progress, which I'm all for that. In our next segment, we're going to talk about all the hidden places where sugar lurks in the grocery aisles so that we don't find ourselves unwittingly racking up those sugary meal totals. So stay tuned. On this season of the Sugar Crash Podcast, I'm asking one big question. What's healthy? What I mean by that is I'm looking for people's definition of what healthy is to them, in their own words. I'm looking for all sorts of definitions, from the products and habits that we should give up, to the practices and mindsets to which we should give in, from the idiosyncratic to the sublime. I want to hear it all and share it with our listening community. There's a couple of ways to participate. Look for the What's Healthy posts that I make on Instagram and Facebook. The handle is at Sugar Crash Podcast. Or send me a message via our new podcast home at anchor.fm slash sugarcrashpodcast. Here's to finding out what's healthy in 2020. Okay, so we're going to try something a little different this time. Maestro! Yeah. Okay, so we're going to pretend that we're doing a grocery store run here to look for places where sugar is hiding in food that we would typically eat. I think one of the things that needs to be said here, before we even begin, is that there is no grocery store where you will be safe from added sugar. None. I think a lot of us would assume that natural food stores would be an easy place to find a haven from all the sugar additives and foods. Assuming that would be wrong. In my experience, sugar is added to foods all over the map. It makes sense though, doesn't it? Sugar is one additive that manufacturers can add that keeps food tasting good. Plus, it's all natural. We can't avoid sugar by going to any particular type of store, so we're just going to go to our standard grocery store. It's as good a place as any to shop sugar-free. Okay, walking into the place, the first section that we walk into is the fresh fruits and vegetables section. No sugar as far as the eye can see, right? Wait, look at this huge section of juices over here. Adwala, Naked, you recognize these brands. Well, hold on. There's some stuff to like here. Adwala's original superfood smoothie has peach, mango, and banana purees, though the peach and mango are from Concentrate. Naked's Berry Blast has strawberry, blackberry, and raspberry purees, also encouraging. But both of these juices have as their first ingredient apple juice from Concentrate, which according to Treetop, quote, serves as an excellent sweetener, replacing sugar or corn syrup. Okay, so it's essentially sugar, so scratch those off the list. What you could do, though, is pick up all the stuff for a smoothie for yourself here in the produce aisle or in the frozen foods section. Let's pass on the prepackaged juices. 
Let's hit the bulk section next. I love the bulk section of grocery stores. There's just something romantic about scooping huge bulk quantities of food into plastic bags. Maybe it's my Midwestern upbringing. After all, is there any more satisfying sight than huge amounts of corn falling out of a combine? Let's stay healthy over here. Let's hit up the trail mix section. Here's one. Super deluxe with raisins, peanuts, papaya, dates, pineapple, and other stuff from the looks of it. Shoot, sugar is on the label. Here's another. Cran slam. Peanuts, almonds, cranberries, raisins, and other stuff. Shoot, there's sugar here, too, on the cranberries. In fact, as I head over to the dried fruit, I find sugar on cranberries, papaya, and blueberries. Dang, this is one of those places where things are super deceptive. Even though it looks like this stuff is healthy food, there's still sugar added. The first grocery store section that we run into isn't much different either. Salad dressings. This is one of those really bad offenders. Let's check out Newman's own honey mustard. Just on, on its face, this wouldn't be Sugar Crash Diet compliant because of the honey, but this highlights something seriously enlightening. So if you don't know, ingredient labels list ingredients from the most used to the least used. Check out this honey mustard label. Sugar is the fourth ingredient ahead of honey at number seven. That's something to think about, even for a gray meal. I mean, hey, couldn't we just thin out some homemade honey mustard with water? Let's try something more obvious. Craft Zesty Italian. Oil, vinegar, and spices, right? Sugar at ingredient number four again. This is also the condiment aisle, and the rest of the condiment aisle is no better. High fructose corn syrup and ketchup and barbecue sauce. Sugar in the mayonnaise and Dijon mustard. Peanut butter. Okay, this is a space where there are options. Most conventional peanut butters have sugar in them, even the natural ones. But you can find peanut butters, even by natural, national manufacturers like Smuckers, that are just ground up peanuts. Usually the giveaway on these is the layer of oil sitting on the top of the peanut butter. Justin's does make a no-stir peanut butter that's pretty good. I also really like their almond butter. But beware, because both of those products contain palm oil. If you're watching your saturated fats, you'll want to stay away from those. Dude, what's up with all these manufactured foods? Hormel chili, Wolf Brand chili, Idahoan mashed potato products, the Chef Boyardee stuff, all with sugar in them. Surely this Kraft macaroni and cheese box must have some too. But let's read the marketing info from their website. Quote, get ready to drown into a mighty pool of cheese and cream with Kraft Easy Mac original flavor macaroni and cheese dinner dipped in extravagant cheesy sauce. I like that. It's nothing like the real experience, but the right amount of hubris, don't you think? Ingredients here. Ah, uh, yes, corn syrup solids. Back on the shelf. To me, one of the weirdest places in the grocery store is the canned soup aisle. Knowing what I know about sugar in manufactured foods, and considering that soup is one of the cheapest of all the manufactured foods, I'd assume there wouldn't be a single product on the shelves without sugar. I did in fact find sugar in this section to no surprise. But it also surprised me to find products without sugar too. 
like the 98% fat-free cream of mushroom condensed soup by Campbell's doesn't have sugar. So I suppose there are options here, but you'll have to dig for them. Chips. Okay, so this is a place where I found good options in a pinch. Like kettle cooked potato chips, unflavored. And tortilla chips can be easily found without sugar. So can pork rinds for those protein conscious eaters. But let's check out some others. Pringles, sour cream and onion, sugar. Doritos have dextrose, put them back too. Goldfish flavor blasted cheddar crackers, I know it's not a chip. Well, they have sugar too. No section of the grocery store is immune from sugar. Just look at the meat section. Like, let's look at Hillshire Farms all-natural turkey breast lunch meat. Sugar. Oscar Mayer bologna has corn syrup as the third ingredient. Johnsonville Brats, a Midwestern classic. Surely there's no sugar there, right? Third ingredient, corn syrup. One of the worst offenders is bacon. But I have had luck here. I've been seeing more and more products with some kind of no sugar claim, but I found a little hack. Both at Aldi and at Kroger, their low sodium bacons come without sugar and at a lower price than stuff marked without sugar. One last place that we're going to explore today, the bread aisle. So for me, bread is just one of those things that I wouldn't consider eliminating from my diet. I may have in the past, but I just like bread. All things in moderation, right? But bread is one of those difficult places to find products without sugar. Plus, it's just so deceptive. Like, take Oro Wheat's 100% whole wheat bread. On their promotional website, they have three circles highlighting marketing points. One of those circles, quote, no high fructose corn syrup, is true. But also included in the product is sugar, molasses, and raisin juice concentrate, all sweeteners of one kind or another. Now, I didn't touch the breakfast food aisle or the frozen food aisle, but there are offenders there too. They're everywhere. I suspect that you may be feeling a little lost in the supermarket at this point. But as you design your own sugar detoxing strategies, I hope this shows the importance of checking those labels. Up next, stats. Hey Sugar Crashers, it's great to be back on the Sugar Crash Diet again, sharing my experience with you on the podcast. If you like what you've been hearing so far, I'm hoping that you might be willing to help me out. If you're listening to the show using Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, would you be willing to leave the Sugar Crash Podcast a five-star review? Five-star reviews help the Sugar Crash Podcast reach more listeners as the software recommends the podcast to more listeners. Plus, as people see that other people are liking it, it seems like something they ought to try. So visit anchor.fm slash sugarcrashpodcast or sugarcrash.net for links to the show pages on both Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Okay, I was prepped for the 1.6 pound weight loss that I had last week. It was Valentine's Day, after all, and I ate terribly. I went off the diet a couple of days later, too, but the rest of the week, I was good. Now, while I wasn't completely disciplined about my log of meals for the week, I did record most of them. 
I estimate that I ate 24 total meals for the week, of which I count only three being in the gray area or a flat-out violation of the sugar crash diet. For the record, I had two sugar crash violations on Sunday and one gray area meal during the week. Not bad. Which brings me to my current frustration. This week, I recorded only a 1.2-pound weight loss at 258.2 pounds. To boot, my blood pressure numbers were way up, 135 over 85. My pulse was 66. I'm frustrated. I feel like my eating, with the exception of Sunday this week, was exceptionally controlled and level-headed all in all. Plus, I haven't been struggling with overeating healthy food as I have had struggles with in the past. The simple fact that I can't give an adequate account for the lack of weight loss during this week stinks. Feelings, emotions, this is all part of the sugar crash diet, or any diet. Results like this are particularly frustrating because, to the rational mind, this should be nothing to get excited about. In fact, this is something that we ought to anticipate on a diet. There are going to be those weeks where our results plateau where the weight loss will be less effective than it had been in weeks past. But that doesn't mean that weight loss is over either. It might be just an adjustment period, or it might be a period where your body is asking for something else. There's no way to really tell for sure after only one week. The thing is, I want more weight loss. Seeing that lower number at the end of a week of making healthy choices is a total motivating factor. If I'm honest, I'm still ahead of the curve of the one pound per week weight loss figure that would net me over 50 pounds of weight loss for this year. But in my heart of hearts, I'd really like to see a 75 to 100 pound weight loss this year if I'm going to do this. This is still possible. I'm still averaging over two pounds of weight loss per week, so I'm still ahead of the curve. The key, I think, is to stick to the plan. The plan may extend with time as I take a close look at what I'm eating and how much I'm eating. I'm going to stay on top of the total meals that I'm eating, trying to keep the violations and gray meals under five per week. I'm also going to keep an eye on those blood pressure numbers, making sure that they go down over time. There's some balance to be had in here. I know it. And I have to remember not to lose hope. I'm recontextualizing my relationship with food. This isn't going to be easy. I can't just run away from the stuff, and I can't just run to the stuff either. While goals should motivate me to continue doing the hard work, I have to also remember that this is about being healthy and making a good relationship with the food that I eat and appreciate. The Sugar Crash Podcast is a production of me, Lewis Corum, recorded and edited in Denton, Texas. You can download episodes of the Sugar Crash Podcast at anchor.fm slash sugarcrashpodcast or at sugarcrash.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Sugar Crash Podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to watch the feed for updates in between episodes called Hunger Pains. If you have an idea for a segment that you'd like to see me cover, be sure to email me at lou at sugarcrash.net.